Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian. This is Maggie. And on this episode, we are doing the 61st Best Picture winner, Rain Man. Rain Man is a 1988 American drama directed by Barry Levinson, screenplay by Barry Morrow and Ronald Bass. It stars Tom Cruise, Dustin Hoffman, and Valeria Galino. It is about a terrible man who discovers his father gave pretty much everything to another son that he was unaware of. I'm sorry. <laughs> your, your lead into that is all of my feelings. Oh, my God. I actually did have to stop 40 minutes in and come back to it because I was like, I, I can't do this right now. I need to like reset my mental like state to get through this movie. <laughs> I'm actually glad that you warned me because I think you texted me and you're like, this main character is killing me. Although I guess, well, one of the main characters, there's really two, I think. So in the movie, Dustin Hoffman plays uh, a, an autistic savant and Raymond modeled that character after a friend of his and then also after Kim Peek, who was um, an autistic savant that Morrow had previously met. Hoffman did meet with Peek and others when he was kind of like doing research and stuff for the role. Although I think as we go through the movie, we'll talk about how it's kind of complicated and it's, we have, we, we feel a way about this. Yeah. I, while I really appreciate that Hoffman did that research and I appreciate that based on real life autistic folks that I personally have interacted with, like his his performance didn't seem terribly over the top. It's still a neurotypical person and their one interpretation of what it means to be autistic. And I find that to be potentially really dangerous, given that that might be some folks' only mental picture of, of what autism is. So I appreciate that he put an effort. I still find the like situation itself problematic. Agreed. And when I was doing some reading, it seemed like there is like criticism around that, of course, as you would expect, with that being kind of like one of, if not the only major portrayals of someone on the spectrum at that time. So like, that's obviously problematic. And then there was also kind of a reaction of like, but it did raise awareness of autism and what it is to a wider public. So it's kind of, it's one of those movies that I would say it like comes at a time and is talking about something that is not super widely known and that a lot of people don't have the vocabulary for. So it's kind of like the stepping stone to the actual work. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like it, it brings awareness. It reinforced some stereotypes. It broke others. But it did open up the room for the conversation. So mixed feelings around this. I, I think we, we both have like kind of complicated feelings. Yeah. And I think this is probably a really, a really great example of just it not, it's not aging well, like to a modern sensibility, it, it, it falls on its face. Uh, not, not to say that the performance weren't, performances weren't like admirable or in some ways good. It just screw it. I'm just going to be presentist. I don't really care. It just doesn't like <laughs> fall in the modern sensibility. There's a little bit of an inherent ick factor. Yeah. Because of that. 
This film is the first and only film to win both the Academy Award for Best Picture and the Golden Bear, which is the highest award at the Berlin International Film Festival. And it was the last MGM title to be nominated for Best Picture until Licorice Pizza this year. Really? Yeah, that's a 33-year time span. It also was impacted by the 1988 Writers Guild strike, uh, particularly because uh, principal photography was happening during that, particularly those final scenes. I believe the writers like delivered basically their rough cut of the finale a day or two before the strike happened, and like they couldn't be on set. So I think when we get to the finale, maybe we should kind of think about like, do we think that it is apparent? Gut reaction is no, but we'll see how I feel <laughs> in 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to think about that as I was watching it. This is number 63 on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Cheers. I almost inverted that. I also I see your face, and I agree. <laughs> I, it's just not, again, it's overshadowed by the like baseline representation issues that I have. And so that most definitely is why I'm feeling the way that I am. If If his brother were different in some way, like fully able-bodied, like... Maybe I would agree, but I we didn't come far enough with Tom's character for me to really believe that it was a cheer, but that's me. Yes. Well, and I think you and I both just kind of had some issues with the inherent framing of the story too, right? And kind of like the point of view we're looking from and mm-hmm. the character arc that it focuses on. This was nominated for quite a lot of stuff. One, I, I would say like roughly half of what it was nominated for. So obviously wins for best picture. Barry Levinson wins for best director. Dustin Hoffman wins for best actor. I'm not surprised by that. Me this neither. feels like the type of performance that the Academy drools over. Yeah. And I mean, he does a good job. There's like some particular moments that I think he really does like an incredible job. There are a couple moments that I'm like, eh. Not thrilled, but uh, I just I, it's hard for me to really judge his performance because of my inexperience with like real people who are autistic. Like it that that's why I struggle to really quantify his performance. Agreed. I mean, any critique that we have of his performance, like and of this movie in general, should definitely be taken with a grain of salt because this is not something that Ian or I have a ton of experience with. So we will do our best, but we can only do so much with stuff we don't have experience with. It won for best screenplay, uh, nominated for best art direction, which I'm kind of met on, but there are a couple scenes that I think like the Vegas hotel room. And then there's one of the other motels that I think I was kind of like, Oh, that's like some fun set design and stuff. Yeah. The one in Texas with the neon. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. It was nominated for best cinematography, which I'm not super on board with. There were a couple shots that I really, really loved, but I wasn't wowed by it. But then I'm also like, is that just because the most two recent movies we've covered were The Last Emperor, which has amazing cinematography, and Roman Holiday, which also has amazing cinematography? Yeah, I I think some of the expanse of the middle US shots really shined for me from a cinematography perspective. So with that in mind, sure. (laughs) Some some of the shot composition I found to be a bit pedestrian though. 
Ooh, throwing out the word pedestrian. Okay. Okay, remember, we just came off last emperor. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I that is a good point and there is a lot of filming like in the car on the road and I imagine there are certain challenges there so this also might have just been like an acknowledgement of like this would have been technically difficult to film and they certainly didn't do a bad job. Oh yeah, it's it this is one of those cases where I think it's a testament to their skill that we didn't notice, which really sounds like a backhanded compliment, but the fact it was so seamless across all of those scenes as they're traveling, I do think is a feat. Which probably is why it also got a best film editing nomination. I found the beginning very choppy. I think once we get into the road trip, it like kind of settles and they find their rhythm a little bit more. So, I mean, I don't, I don't really have any opinions on that nomination. Um, The last nomination I do have a strong opinion on. It was nominated for Best Original Score. Hans Zimmer does the score. I hated the score. It was such a bad score. It did not fit the movie. No, and this is my problem with pretty much any synth film score that isn't part of a sci-fi film is that it ages like rotten milk. So, like, it was of the period, and it was modern and new and interesting, but totally cheapens the experience watching it 20 years later sorry almost 30 years later yeah <laughs> but even the tone of it just felt wrong like it was i just i i hated it i thought it was like an actively bad score and you're right it was like ruining moments for me and it's a shame that it's han zimmer because he writes such good score <laughs> i well some people are gonna get so mad at me for this i have found that han zimmer is a little hit or miss with me it uh, no, very that's much fair. depends on the movie. Because there are some of his scores that I would put in like some of my absolute favorite scores, and there are some that I would put in my absolute least favorite scores. Yeah, I want to say he did like Interstellar, and I remember he did some of the Pirates, he did of, Pirates the of the Caribbean. And like those are amazing. Fantastic. So not not meant to be a dig at Hans Zimmer, just he missed the mark on this. <laughs> I just think it would have been a lot more effective. And I know this is a little bit more cliche for the genre and stuff, but if they had, and they did some of this, but if you had more like music of the time, like actual like songs and stuff like that, like I just, it it would have felt more road trippy and like, I don't know, the vibe would have matched a little bit more. Yeah. Um, Other nominees from that year, The Accidental Tourist, Dangerous Liaisons, Mississippi Burning and Working Girl. All right, so watch notes. My first note is I don't know if this one's going to be for me. <laughs> <laughs> I okay, it's I was surprised to see all the car stuff. I was like, when did this become a car movie? I'm confused. <laughs> I just Charlie, the character of Charlie and that's a Tom Cruise's character. He's such an asshole and he's such an asshole to everyone. His coworker, his girlfriend who also works for him or with him. But like I just, and I understand that they were like, oh, his arc is going to be like becoming nice and caring about something other than himself. But like, even if that's a character's arc, like you got to give me some reason to want to watch that arc. Like I just, I needed some, like some little nugget to be sympathetic to him. Like, and it even could have been like, he just isn't an ass to his girlfriend. Yeah, except he is. I'm like... Why? Why is Susanna with this horrible man? She could do so much better. And, and she does leave to her credit, like to get way yes. ahead of herself. So that was a like, yes, consequences for your actions. But I just 
totally agree. I did appreciate the like, okay, he is made to be this like business mogul that's doing whatever he does with a little bit of grift involved, like some shadiness. It's a very 80s main character. And we are setting up really quickly that like he's in a tight spot financially. Like he, he needs some money to cover. It's he's like complaining about like EPA emissions killing him. And I'm like, that that's also where he lost me. I just, there were a it's lot also of the little, right. <laughs> like literally there were un- just a <laughs> lot of little things about his character and stuff that I was like, I don't like, I don't like you. Like you're the guy at the bar that I try and sit farthest from. Yes. And it really is hammered home to me when he is driving to Palm Springs with Susanna and just refuses to have any sort of open conversation with her, even though she's asking very reasonable questions. Yes, I agreed. And I wish they had leaned more into this because I wonder if what they're going for, because a lot of the conversations with Raymond, who's a Dustin Hoffman's character, is people are talking about how like he can't really connect with people. And then at the end, you have Charlie being like, I made a connection with him. Um, Though I think we should dissect that a little bit when we get to that point. But I, I wonder if like that scene, you know, at the beginning and then also with Susanna in the car is setting up that like Charlie also has a really hard time connecting with people and that like that's sort of something that he and Raymond share, even though it's mm-hmm. for very different reasons and for um, and kind of like to varying degrees and stuff. But I, I wonder if that's kind of the parallel they were trying to build. However, it just made me fucking hate Charlie. Oh, yeah. And there's nothing sympathetic about him through a, like probably the first at least half hour, if not longer. 40, 40 minutes. I, I Trust me, I counted. You clocked it. Because <laughs> that's when I had to like reset and step back and then come back to the movie later. <laughs> yeah, but I just I needed them to give me something sympathetic for him, for me to care. Because he finds out that his father has died. There's a lot of tell, don't show in this where he's mm-hmm. just like telling us his father was terrible. He was like, I was never good enough for him. He tells the story about the Buick. And this is a huge missed opportunity for me. That entire yes. funeral scene was a chance to humanize him like to some yes. degree. It was a chance for us to say, yes, this man is terrible, but I understand why. And instead I was like, he's an entitled fuck. Exactly. And I mean, Susanna calls him on it. She's like, oh, so you did steal it. Yes. (laughs) And the fact that like all this time has not provided any perspective for him does not make me like him any more. No, I'm like, you have you need to grow the fuck up because the story is his dad was was like very wealthy. He had this like beautiful classic car Buick and he would never let Charlie drive it. And Charlie's like, one day I came home and for the first time, my report card was mostly A's. Oh, my God. And I was like, Dad, I'm 16. Let me drive the Buick. And his dad was like, no. And he's like, so I got really mad and I stole the car because I was never good enough for him. And I was like, dude, getting mostly A's on one report card is not like does not entitle you to drive a super expensive classic car when you are 16 fucking years old. Like, And 
everybody just doubles and triples down on being horrible to one another because yes, his father then is like reporting the car stolen, which like, okay, fine, leaves him in jail overnight to teach him a lesson, which, you know, okay, his father was an asshole. It was it was for two days. I'm oh. I'm not mad at the calling the cops on him for report, having reported a stolen car, but then he could have gone and picked his son up from jail and been like, "Don't do this again, or I will leave." <laughs> like, like I think his father took it a little far. Oh, agreed, totally agreed. But it does not excuse Charlie's behavior. Ugh. Like I, ugh. he he was just so entitled in that moment, and then. We have the reading of the will where he discovers that he has been left the car and the rose bushes. The passive aggressive notes on both of these with the rose bushes, let it remind him that perfection is possible was the gist that I got. And I was like, whoa. Oh, I took took the note a little bit differently. Like it's definitely a little tongue in cheek, but I, well, one, I, I took giving him the car as like trying to make amends of being like, this is the thing you really wanted? See, I took it as twisting the blade, but that's just me. I, the note didn't make me be like, his dad was actually a good guy. Cause there were definitely some things about like the rose bushes bit. I was definitely like, okay, now you're being a little bit of a dick. <laughs> but with the car, that seemed a little bit nicer to me. There is the whole bit where he is kind of passive aggressively being like, well, you never answered my calls, but it's okay. I forgive you. But the note wasn't mean enough or spiteful enough for me to be like, ah, oh, all of Charlie's hatred and assholery is valid or oh, totally understandable. I was still like, Charlie, you're still an asshole who seems to be blowing things way out of proportion. He's completely a dick to the lawyer because he's like demanding to know who the trustee is that like everything else has been left to. And I was like, you are not entitled to this information. Like you have no legal right to know this. Deal with it. Like again, grow the fuck up, deal with it. And he does by again, lying, (laughs) cheating and steal. Well, not stealing his way into this information, which that poor woman at the bank He's not even that charming to her. No, he's just like nice. That's another note jacket. I have is that Charlie is not believably charming enough to like have people still with him and caring about him be- when he's such an asshole. Like I was like there at no moment do I see him like charm anyone believably. It's very weird. I don't understand. I think they're like relying on the young Tom Cruise heartthrob status to like color that and he gets pretty person points but uh yeah but I'm sorry pretty person points is not enough to divulge (laughs) pretty pretty person points with a lukewarm come on is not enough to divulge sensitive legal information I don't know the the way that they portrayed that poor bank teller (laughs) I want to talk about bad tropes um (laughs) anyway uh, he finds out who it is and then goes to visit them at the Warbrook um, Institution. Uh, this is where I started to have really mixed feelings about kind of how they portray stuff like this. Because on the one hand, I really appreciate that they didn't play up the like dramatic crap that you often see with um, institutions that provide services for adults with any sort of like intellectual disabilities like that was nice yay progress but at the same time it did feel kind of voyeuristic and 
kind of their reactions were that kind of of pity, which I resent. Yeah, the what I kind of took out of that is that a lot of those conversations and like there still wasn't a lot of acceptance in the 80s because like it had clearly gotten better from like stuff we've seen earlier. Mm-hmm. But like it's I was I was still like these conversations are not as open and like it, it still seemed like uh, especially Raymond, but other people had been kind of like hidden away. Like the For fact sure. that no one ever told Charlie that he had a brother, like that really bothered me. And that to me was a lot more telling about Charlie's father mm-hmm. than any of the stuff Charlie said. And I was like, the fact that he would like put Raymond here and like never, never let Charlie know his brother. Like it was almost seemed like he, he was trying to hide him and he was trying to like create this new quote unquote perfect family. So that to me was a lot more telling. And I, 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 I just have so many issues with Charlie here. Like he just, he's unduly cruel in a couple moments. Okay. The books where the he's books. like touching and talking about how you can't read. I'm like, dude, you don't get it. This, no. this guy is not putting on a show for you. Why are you twisting the knife? When, yes. You were told explicitly that Raymond does his who's on first base thing when he's stressed. Like, And he's doing the who's on first, which I, I don't know if you're familiar with who's on first. It's, I mean, you are now because of the movie. I am now, but, yeah. <laughs> but it's a very famous bit between uh, classic comedians Abbott and Costello. And the whole idea is where it's like who's on first. Um, it's like the guy's name is who, but the other person thinks it's a question. Like one of the most famous comedic bits ever. So Raymond just goes through it when he's nervous and you can see him like he's going through it so fast and he's so clearly distressed and like the guy who works at the institution is like one of his caretakers is like explaining that's what he does when he's stressed and I was like then can you stop his brother from touching all his shit because explicitly they are told Raymond is stressed because you are touching his books and Charlie continues to do it He's sitting there being like, have you read all of these? Like, have you read the Shakespeare? And I get that he's angry. Like, he is angry. He's hurt. He's dealing with a lot of shit. But, like, that doesn't give you license to just be an asshole. And to, like, okay, maybe you don't understand that Raymond really doesn't understand. At the same time, the level of, like, cruelty against somebody who does not understand is you know doing wonders to increase my hatred of you so again this is about the time when i had to take a step back because can't do it can't do it no this this scene so bothered me and even if like you don't understand why he's upset even if it makes no sense to you you understand that he is upset so like stop yeah and then you know contrasting that with is it Susanna Mm -hmm. who like apologizes she was going through the baseball cards and she like gives them back to him. She's like, I'm so sorry. Like she clearly has a very different tact with Raymond and he responds a lot better to that. Well, yeah, she displays empathy. (laughs) Jinx. Like, and, and doesn't understand. I mean, it's clear that she doesn't understand why Charlie reacts the way that he does. So, I, you mean Raymond reacts the way he does or that Charlie? Or I don't think Charlie. she understands the way either of them. Oh, yeah. Because he wouldn't tell her anything. All he told exactly. her was that stupid like, story ugh. about the car, which makes no sense. 
There is, oh, we should point out that there is something mentioned. It's after he's telling her the story about the car earlier before they've met Raymond and found Raymond. Charlie does reference Rain Man, mm-hmm. who used to sing to him. And she's like, what? And he's like, it was just like an imaginary friend that I had when I was a kid. And she is like, well, what happened to him? She's like, he's like, well, I grew up. Which plants this seed for later. I wanted them to lean more into it. I wanted to know more about Rain Man and why he was important to Charlie and like the comfort that that quote unquote imaginary friend had provided. So when we hit a reveal later, it would have been so much more emotionally impactful. Yeah, they did not. They they like left that in passing. And then when it hits later, I had to rewind and turn on the subtitles so I could really understand what was going on. So I mean, I saw it coming, but I still like I was like, this could have been more. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, long story short, they kidnap uh, Raymond and go on a road trip. I, I do have a note where I was like, is this a kidnapping? Because I was like, is he voluntarily at the institution or was he committed but then i was like but also raymond definitely doesn't understand what's going on so this is definitely i was like where are we legally on this yeah there are a lot of situations where i'm like the character of raymond is positioned as not having the wherewithal to actually consent to go with his brother right and has actively said oh i need to be back in two hours no more than two hours off of the uh the grounds so yeah yeah, it's kidnapping. <laughs> it is. I'm just wondering where it sits legally. Because I think, because that kind of comes up later. Honestly, I given that there was I mean, not a conservatorship, it's morally, I'm not It's sure. absolutely morally kidnapping. Oh, for sure. And morally bereft, <laughs> like, at the it least. it is kidnapping. But I will say, the hotel scenes culminating in Susanna leaving, I did yes. actually really enjoy. Because it, it's, it's clear that Charlie doesn't understand what he is dealing with so he has rented out this president suite and is like oh look raymond it's such a nice room here's your room and raymond's like this is not my room like the bed is supposed to be by the window like this should be here because he like routine is so incredibly important to him and you know what the doctor told charlie that routine was important (laughs) and he didn't listen (laughs) which is so ironic because Throughout this movie, even towards the end, Charlie's like, Raymond, why won't you listen to me? And I'm like, you don't listen to anybody either. (laughs) Stop. But they get him set up. And then there's this rather, I I found it slightly comedic. The sex scene where. It's funny, but it is like cringy funny. Yeah. Because it's like, of course. Lock lock, or at least close your door. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because Charlie and Susanna are having sex and Raymond can, like, hear noises and, like, follows the noise. Yeah. The aftermath with Susanna in the bath talking to Charlie is everything, though. Because she's like, you use everybody. And my my favorite part where it was like, oh, yeah, if if he comes with and you, you know, take care of him, all of that, taking that money, it's hardly like stealing, no? And I'm like, you literally just stole this man away from Woolbrook. Like, that's your whole thing is like, I want my cut because you, for some reason, think you're entitled to it and like you're not. And he's like, well, I need the money more. Actually, no, that money is like set up to take care of Raymond for the rest of his life. Raymond actually probably needs that more because he's not going to be able to take care of himself. I also get really mad at Charlie in this scene where Susanna's leaving because he keeps telling her to take it easy. And I don't dismiss her feelings to to quote Madeline Cotton Clue, 
flames on the side of my face. Like I <laughs> couldn't, I was like, stop telling her to take it easy when she is calling you out on your bullshit. You just need to stand there, shut your mouth and listen and actually maybe take something away from this and modify your behavior. But he's just like, take it easy, take it easy. Fuck you. I mean, she says that just in nicer words. I'll take it easy now, but I just had to get that out there. <laughs> so she leaves. Thank God. Good for her. Yeah. It's honestly the first time that I really recall a situation like this happening where the woman in the relationship actually left. Like, I, I'm struggling to think of other examples, at least in the best pictures where this happens. In the best so. pictures, I can't. Finally, think of fucking really finally. Because I was trying to think, because uh, the character of Charlie reminds me a lot of our like 1960s, late 50s male romantic leads where you and I were like, who are these assholes and why is anybody dating them? But in Wish those, I could tell uh, you. the women never leave. <laughs> At least she left um, for this bit. I do like there's the moment there where he goes, am I using you, Raymond? And Raymond goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was very funny. That was good. Very good. So uh, next morning, it is uh, they're in the diner without Susanna, and it is clear that Charlie doesn't get it, will never get it. I, I just don't. I don't know. They do bring this back, though, because there's the whole bit about the maple syrup isn't on the table and they can't bring the maple syrup after the pancakes or because then it's, quote, too late. And I was kind of like, I agree with that. I'm not going to lie. Routine. And yeah, honestly, like you... Charlie have completely upset the day and routine that Ray is of used somebody to. Somebody who so... really needs that routine too. Like, like I, I get frustrated when like my plans for the day are interrupted, like to, to uproot Raymond like that. And then to just ignore also to just act so put upon by it. It's like, dude, you did this to yourself. I was thinking that the entire time in the <laughs> hotel and after and literally till Vegas. Same. I was like, you did this to your, like, don't, like, you don't get to be mad right now. Like, you have to just fucking deal because you did this. You created this situation. Lie in the bed you've made. Yeah. But we do get at the end of that scene, the beginnings of um, kind of the savant syndrome side of Ray uh, with the toothpicks and him counting very quickly that there are 246 of them on the ground. Because there are four left in the box, which I found that kind of an interesting way to start it. Yeah, agreed. And I I feel like they kind of like pick and choose when they lean into certain things. But I think that's like the start of Charlie seeing Raymond as like, he's not neurotypical, but he still contributes. Like seeing Raymond is not completely a burden. I think that like that's the moment that plants the seeds, although he's still going to use Raymond and his mathematical abilities later. And I was like, I don't, this is just worse, frankly. <laughs> yes. You were like, oh, he's useful to me. Great. I'll be a little less of an asshole. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's what bothers me is that Charlie's character arc is still completely selfish. Like the, it's a 100% selfish character arc. I think there's like one one line that's maybe a little unselfish. Yeah. It's you have to show value for me to value you. When yeah. is he, as your brother, especially not just worthy of some base level of value to begin with? Like, or like as on. a human being, shouldn't you be delivering some base level of respect to him? No, because remember, he's a big bad businessman who has uh, bills to pay. Mm, there are things I love about the 80s. 
that particular like greed is good push is not one of them. Yeah. So a- after the diner, they try to fly. It is clear Raymond is having none of it. And this is where we see the first like high, I, what would you call that? It basically, he is very distressed and you I would see call it the first break. Yeah. Like yeah. that's because up until now, like when we've seen Raymond distressed, like he does the who's on first, like it, it's clear that Raymond has these coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. This is the first time where we see that not be enough. And we see this kind of emotional breakdown where Charlie's going to force him on the plane. I have mixed feelings about the way this was shot. And then the bad score comes in really terribly at the point. Like it it felt a little too, would extreme be the right word? Almost campy. Like it, it, it felt like they shot it a little bit like a horror movie. And I get that like it, it took Charlie by surprise. Cause I think we're, we're filmed almost like we're from Charlie's point of view where he's right next to Raymond. So it's the close up on Dustin Hoffman's face and it's mm-hmm. very like chaotic so I, I think the intent was to film it from Charlie's point of view and it to be kind of like a jolt and a shock because obviously, as we have stated multiple times, he is fully unequipped to help Raymond. And this is not something he would have been familiar with or known would happen. Although if he'd listened to the doctor, he probably would have known that something like this could happen and how you're supposed to handle it. But he did not listen. I think that's what they were going for. I It felt a little cringy for me and maybe a little exploitative again i think it comes down to this is my understanding which if i am off base here i would love to hear about what is on base but some of that stimming behavior especially with um self-harm is a way to block out stimuli that uh, is unpleasant so definitely a behavior that i'm aware of happening but again this is one actor's interpretation of what it means to be autistic i and i think it was the way it was shot that bothered me Mm. like i think it was specifically the way it was shot and edited and the way the score came in that kind of bothered me but the point is uh raymond will not fly um he's going over i love when charlie's like okay fine like if you're not comfortable with this airline we'll pick another one and raymond's listing all the crashes Qantas is the Qantas airline has never crashed <laughs> it was i was so proud of myself i did know the delta accident that he referenced when he was like oh it was a lockheed and i'm like oh it was the wind shear one <laughs> um i was reading that uh when this was like went out and went on airlines that several airlines cut that scene. I don't blame them. Like, why would you leave because it? They're in? like, why would you do that? But also then the movie makes no sense. Cause why are they road tripping instead of flying? Because by that time, by the time this movie happens, like airline travels pretty common. He needs to get the car back. I feel like that's reason enough to drive. Okay. But- I do love though that Qantas <laughs> kept that scene in. <laughs> Of course they did. <laughs> they Wouldn't were like, you? look at us. But I do like the moment where Charlie's like, Qantas, okay, well, we would have to get to Melbourne. <laughs> to fly so to LA. You, so do you understand why that's impossible? But this is why um, why the road trip happens. Yeah. So they're on their trip. They're doing their thing. We do get a montage that I think is meant to have us see the world through the eyes of Raymond, which... I'm just suspicious of that in general, but 
hey, it passes the time. But the accident scene, I think, is, again, another level of, like, devolution to some extent, where it's very clear that seeing the evidence of things being unsafe really bothers Raymond. Yeah, and reasonably so. I mean, after I see an accident, I definitely slow down a bit and I'm, like, white-knuckled for just a tad so that I make sure that I'm, like, in my driving state. But now they're on the back road, back roads. So it, it, well, I I specifically want to talk about Raymond gets out of the car, and because they're they're having to go really through slowly through this very bad accident, which to give the movie credit could have been a lot more graphic. And they did they make showed it. restraint, and they, we didn't need it to be graphic, and it made its point perfectly. And I appreciated that because we've we've watched some graphic stuff, Ian. Yeah, but. Raymond won't get back in the car and he's nervous about being on that highway and he's like quoting accident figures and stuff like that. And I I love when Charlie's like, fine, well, if you want to walk in front of the car, we'll get off at this exit and we'll go on the back roads. And there's the shot of Raymond walking in front of the car at night, just in the headlights as they go down that like exit ramp. And I loved that shot. Yeah, there are, again, some really great shots in here, That yeah. that being one of them. When I think that and the airline scene are both really important because it's it's proving to Charlie that like he doesn't know what he's doing and that he's not the best person to be I was about to say helping Raymond. He's not trying to help Raymond. He's trying to help himself. He is not the best person to be even mildly caretaking Raymond at this time. For sure. I mean, we kind of knew that at the very beginning when he kidnapped oh. him, but uh <laughs> Uh, the first red flag um only red flag i would need but (laughs) (laughs) oh geez sometimes one is enough exactly it's more than zero uh (laughs) but they they do stop in missouri um because throughout this entire uh montage i guess sequence we we do have the hammering home different points of time in raymond's routine so like going to bed at 11 or this particular show is on at six or those sorts of things. So or stop like at a motel. lunch is at 1230 exactly. and, and even like what he eats on every day. Like it's Wednesday. It's fish stick day. Um, and to Charlie's like, little, I'll give him like a grain of sugar amount of credit for going out and finding at least the type of food that will cater to Ray. It's so, uh, I feel like it's supposed to be, I feel like the movie wants us to be like, oh, he's growing. This is growth for him. And I'm like, no, he's doing this because he doesn't want to deal. Like, Right. It would be growth to have him have fish sticks handy to be plated at 1220 so that at 1230, Ray actually got us eight fish sticks. And the fact he just like goes in with a protractor and like cuts the four into eight. eight like, not four. And, Okay, you you met the letter, but did you meet the spirit of the request? Uh, anyway, yeah, it- <laughs> I just, I uh, I think I think the problem is that it it's just so late in the movie before Charlie does anything that isn't a hundred percent selfish, right? And even then, like I, there's a strong argument that his motives are still primarily selfish at the end, which we'll talk more about for sure. And so going through the different little vignettes, they stop in a different small town. There's the whole thing about the uh, Kmart underwear. Oh my gosh. And I, I, I do find it mildly funny that 
by the end, Charlie has been like, Kmart sucks. And so Ray's like, Kmart sucks. But also... Uh, I know. Can can we also say, I love the way, I do love the way Dustin Hoffman says, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh. It, yeah. Uh It's, he, he's very consistent in his mannerisms. I will give him that. But the, the small town where... Raymond gets stuck in a crosswalk because of the walk, don't walk, which, you know, if you've ever thought about walk, don't walk, it really is not that clear because, yeah, if you were going off literally what it's telling you, flashing don't walk doesn't mean keep walking, even though that's what it means. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, no, no. no. It's I, that's why I like the the little walk guy and then the, the numbers countdown because then I, then I can look at it and be like, <laughs> if I run... Can I make it? Yeah, but you're supposed to walk, not run, Maggie. Ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> oh, I do I do want to say that throughout all of this, Charlie's constantly on the phone, like on these payphones, trying to get information about his business. There's issues with like loans. He he's getting in a worse and worse financial situation. And like the opportunities that he had in place to recoup some of that cost are starting to disappear quickly. I do do love how after multiple times multiple times he has left raymond in the car which is a convertible so locking the doors (laughs) do nothing raymond has wandered off and so finally there's the scene where they're both in the phone booth and i love the way that was shot oh same that had to be a nightmare to shoot but i love the way it was shot i love the phone booth is grimy like it's it looks like a just phone booth on the side of the road the middle of nowhere that you don't want to be in and the uh oh fart (laughs) And Charlie's like complete incredulity. Like, no, he like he told you. He told you. Come on. To to me though, that's such a sibling moment. Like that (laughs) is is, that is the moment where I was like, these two are a hundred percent. Like that's you and your sibling. (laughs) But the the small town doctor scene, I I found to be somewhat interesting in that the the nurse talking about artistic versus autistic. So that was like one of those. I thought a decent nod to the fact that this is not necessarily a well-known or widespread sort of knowledge point at the yeah, time. Yeah, like that it that it's something that hasn't been as widely studied or like the studies that have been done haven't like made their way out into the wider public or even the wider medical community because they are they are in a very small town, but like the nurse has never heard of this. And then the doctor is like, I've heard of this and I've read about it. Let's try a couple things. Um, and I actually really liked this doctor. I thought of all of the like professionals who interact with Raymond, I thought he was the best because I'm honestly not a huge fan of the guy, the guy who ran the institution who was like Raymond's primary caretaker and was in mm-hmm. charge of the trust. Like I, I felt uh, he felt kind of distant and I was like I don't know if you like you know it it seems like he was kind of doing a favor for an old buddy and like hiding the kid he didn't want around like I was kind of like a little I was a little sus of him I didn't get that I got that he was more somewhat on his high horse about the fact that he was right yeah I don't know I just there was something about him I didn't like is it just a general distrust of hospital administrators because that's valid (laughs) is it now i'm now i'm trying to think of my hospital experiences which have fortunately been few and far between maybe it's because i was like 
the institution was giving me flashbacks to one flew over the cuckoo's nest. So I was like, I was literally about to be like nurse ratchet syndrome. Uh, (laughs) But I do the next vignette that really happens in, in this order of things is the farmhouse scene, which I found to be completely and utterly unbelievable. Like completely unbelievable. I lost my shit though. when he posed as a Nielsen rep. (laughs) Uh, because I used to work in media and I had to deal with Nielsen data and I, you guys, the whole Nielsen sample thing. I did appreciate that this woman did seem to have some sense of like, okay, I will do a nice thing. And I thought it was hilarious about the, well, we prefer cartoons. Do you think that we could compromise? And then it immediately cuts to people's court. Like that was, that was a fun editing move right there. There, there are like truly funny moments in the movie. Like there are, there are multiple times that I like laughed out loud. I just, I have a problem with a lot of the basic premise and the fact that we are viewing it mostly through a uh, horrible Charlie's point of view and that it's centered on his character arc. For sure. Next, I think major scene is in that hotel that we referenced earlier in, I think Texas with all the like pink neon and really yeah. fun wallpaper and all that. I liked that cinematography of them pulling in there. Oh, yeah. And again, the I love how you're visually seeing the change from what they are showing as the drab Midwest into kind of more West Vegas-ish, the old style get them on Route 66 sort of thing. So that, that was an inter- interesting kind of transition visually. So maybe I can see some of the art direction coming in there for yeah. that. Well, and I guess... You know what I will say about art direction is that they are in a lot of hotel rooms and all of them look very distinct. Yes. It's like you get the very traditional old school, old money look in Cincinnati, old city. And then you get the like side of the the old highway cottage look like in it happened one night. Like I definitely yeah. thought of that when I saw the kind of dark wood paneling and everything and in every single one of those he has moved raymond's bed by the window he's started complaining less about doing that um there is the moment right before they go in the hotel room where raymond's doing the who's on first again and charlie's like kind of a dick about it and being like are you gonna do this every time and then he does the whole like it's supposed to be a comedy but he he critiques raymond's delivery (laughs) well and i'm kind of like okay does your idea of comedy is not how Raymond conceives of comedy, like it or perceives comedy. I don't know what the word is there, but like, I mean, I don't know if that's kind of set up later. There's like the bits where like they do kind of do little jokes for each other. And so I don't know if it's, it's like the comedy bonds them later. And like, because there is no concept of comedy. I don't know. I don't know exactly what they were trying to do, but I think they were trying to do something. What that scene made me really, really want, and which I did not get, and I am still bitter about it, is that I wanted the two of them to do who's on first together. I wanted Raymond to start doing it because he was really upset about something and really anxious. And then, because Raymond will do kind of the both parts, and then I wanted at some point for Charlie to come in on one of the parts and them to start doing it like a dialogue. And I would have lost my shit and I would have been so excited. I never got it. We got so close, but I never got it. Yeah. How amazing would that have been though? I would have cried. It would have been really great. 
I'm not sure that Raymond would have understood what was happening, though. I know. But, but it would have been nice. He wouldn't have had to get super into it. But then if he just started doing it, it was like the give and take. And then it, we could see it like calm him down. Like, I just think that would have been like a cute thing. It would have. I don't know if it would have been accurate or any, but you're, you're right. I just, I wanted it for movie reasons. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's totally fair. But I, I think the the biggest thing, instead of that, we get the big Rain Man reveal. Yes. Which happened too fast. They didn't. They didn't sit on it. Like, I just, I was like, here is the opportunity to show, like, Charlie, this person you've been terrible to the whole time. And we've already gotten hints that Charlie's, like, starting to be more upset about the fact that just no one ever told him he had a brother Mm -hmm. than he really is about, like, the money, even though he still is in a bad financial situation. But I was like, here is the chance to really show that even when you didn't know what was happening and you didn't know who he was, like your big brother has always been watching out for you and like loved you because he talks about, he realizes that Rain Man was Raymond. And Mm -hmm. as a kid, he couldn't say it properly. And that Raymond was the one who would sing to him. And there's the cute bit where he sings the song to Charlie and then they start to sing it together. And I was like, we could have really just like, marinated in this moment we could have gone if we had had more about how important rain man had been to charlie previously like he could have talked about like rain man getting him through some tough times like when his mom died or something like that and this could have been an even more impactful reveal and it didn't happen the way i wanted it to we did get some great talking with Susanna where she has this beautiful zinger about how uh, Charlie is not good at a lot of things. <laughs> so we got some comedic relief there. <laughs> but I just wanted the Rain Man reveal to be to be bigger. more. But again, here, it's like we start to see, I would say this marks kind of like the first real turning point for Charlie. But again, it's because he realizes that like, it's because of something to do with him. Well, and... Again, after the doctor's office visit, the glimmers of Ray being able to be valuable to Charlie. And so, like, to to breeze through a couple vignettes really quick, it is set up that Charlie needs $80,000 because cars were repossessed and he needs to refund some deposits. He had this really funny scene where it's like, okay, Ray, you got to put sunscreen on. I felt that. Because that is me. I, I, that, okay, that was a really sweet scene. Like that it was. It was really sweet to me. And I think that's a, an indication of like Charlie growing and becoming a an actual caretaker for Raymond. Yeah. Because he's like, we have to get, we have to put the sunscreen on your face or else you're going to burn. Because you don't want me to put the top up. And I love the kind of the negotiation mm-hmm. with uh, Raymond where he's like, I, I don't want the top up. And he's like, well, then you have to do the sunscreen. <laughs> and... Charlie's even gotten him a portable TV. So like on the one hand, yes, that is somewhat selfish because now you don't have to stop and find a TV all the time, but it also is helping with Raymond's routine. So like, yeah, I, I mean, we should never be in this situation because you never should have kidnapped your brother to hold him for ransom. Yes. (laughs) But we'll put that aside. Exactly. But where things like really take a turn is in and around Vegas when they're at the cafe. Okay, so at this point, I was like, this movie's too long. There was a lot of traveling by car. There were a couple gorgeous wide shots out in the middle of nowhere. But if I, I wanted uh... lots of gorgeous wide shots, I'd go watch a Western. So. <laughs> true, true fact. 
it felt like the Vegas thing was like coming up in like the last third of the movie. And I was like, oh my God, we've got like another thing we're doing. Like I, it just felt like too much. It should have happened sooner. Or like, honestly, I feel like you could have cut Vegas, even though there are some really sweet scenes in Vegas that I do want to talk about. But I feel like we could have replaced them with other stuff or we just didn't need them because we're already seeing the character arc happening. And honestly, Vegas felt a little bit like it was devolving Charlie's character arc in some ways because he's got his brother counting cards to line his own pockets. Exactly. And that, this again comes back to the, you don't really see the brotherly mentory sort of stuff from Charlie until he's $85,000 richer because all of a sudden Ray can prove valuable in Charlie's eyes. I do like he gets in that suit though. They got kind of matching suits going on. That okay. was real cute. My one Cause Kmart sucks. Maybe complaint is where were their ties? Was that like actually a thing? Cause I hated it. <laughs> I hated that the I button was Raymond buttoned. had a tie. No, they just had fully buttoned all the way up to the top button white shirts. Oh, with I don't no like that. Tie. You gotta unbutton. You gotta unbutton that top <laughs> button if you're gonna. If you're gonna no tie, you gotta unbutton some buttons. Okay, I feel a little bit a little better chest. about that. <laughs> but the one scene that really did stick out for me was the like teaching Ray to dance scene, and like this was that is so really sweet. sweet. Now the end of it really shows that Charlie has no idea that he he is dealing he is not dealing with someone that processes like physical touch and emotions in the same way because he goes in for a hug yes i well i think that's charlie getting ahead of himself because we've had the moments before where like it's been shown that raymond doesn't like physical touch and when charlie's like yeah i'll teach you to dance like he does do the bit where he's like okay but if you if you're dancing with someone like you'd have to touch them like Mm -hmm. And kind of like eases into it. And there's like the little bit where they're like kind of holding hands. And then he's like, okay, like close your hand. And like, then I think they share like that moment. And then he, he's like, I want a hug and then goes in. But I don't, I, I think Charlie got into his own emotions Mm -hmm. too much in that moment and got ahead, which clearly is something he always does because you don't kidnap someone unless you're really in your emotion. <laughs> but uh you but you know what I mean? Like I I think that is a signal that like Charlie almost thought there was more progress than there had been and he, that he doesn't fully grasp yet, but I think this is him trying. Yeah. So Susanna shows up. Yeah, I was confused. I was, why she was so back. confused. I was confused why she was back and why she knew they were there. Uh, yeah. So she's back there was this short arc with iris in the bar and the the sparkly lady okay i did appreciate I love that when raymond's like she's so sparkly <laughs> I was like, that's great but i i don't know i i did not particularly like the elevator scene as well because no, it again comes back like to like that. the the consent idea that he hasn't kissed a woman and that is fine and you shouldn't push well, him into the, that I, well i think she asks i believe and he says yeah but we've established that raymond will just say yeah like mm-hmm. it's not i'm i'm with you on that i didn't like that scene either i was like this feels problematic it wasn't and it didn't add at all agreed agreed it did not add 
I do appreciate, though, Charlie's protectiveness of Raymond when he initially meets Irish, or meets Iris. Mm -hmm. And kind of the like, he's like, Raymond, is this what you want to do? And Raymond's like, yeah. And he's like, okay, but I'm going to be right over here. Like, I'm ready to stop this if I need to. I, I will say, I think that that particular set of scenes likely was intended to provide some of an arc for Raymond. I didn't appreciate it. Yeah, like he's stepping out of his comfort zone a little bit. It it didn't. Yeah, I'm with you. I was not I was not here for it. And I was left with the so what at the end. So it. I don't know. I didn't see any sort of growth in Raymond after that. I do. There is the one moment, though, where uh, Charlie lets him drive. That was really nice. Because when because Raymond has said multiple times, like, he's a great driver. Uh, His dad will let him drive the car, but only slowly, slowly down the drive. And they let him drive it slowly in the driveway. Well, previously, that was previously that was such a sticking point for Charlie. Right. Because the whole thing with the car was like he was never allowed to drive it. But Raymond had been allowed to drive it. Like, what the fuck? Um, so then him now letting Ray drive the car uh, is a very sweet scene. And I think very nice, like symbolism of the evolution of their relationship. That was sweet. So now they're back in LA. I did think it was again, showing some growth from Charlie's perspective when he stocks up all of the things that Ray likes to eat. He provides the, video of the who's on first so that Raymond can actually see what he has only read up until this point. Like there's some nice gestures in there that do belie a a sense of like brotherly love here. So I do want to give it some credit for that. I still am like, we needed some sympathy in the beginning for Charlie. Agreed. And here's where I think I think the movie wants us to see Charlie as fully having grown and like he went from this very selfish cutthroat person to like now he really cares about his brother. He'll do anything for him. He wants Raymond to come live with him. He even has the line where he says like, I don't even care about the money anymore. Like I want my brother with me. I still think that's incredibly selfish. I think Charlie wants Raymond there because of how Charlie now feels about the relationship and like the emotional growth that Raymond has provided Charlie. And I, I think almost right up until the very end, all Charlie is thinking about is still what he wants. He's not thinking about what long term is going to be best for Raymond. And I don't think it's until the fire alarm that he maybe has that realization yeah, because it's just Ray making breakfast and he forgets the toaster and the fire alarm goes off. And his reaction to that extremely loud noise is kind of as you would expect, where he's like, okay, I, w- I need to get out of this situation, understandably, but like really could have hurt himself. Also, like if Charlie had not been there, what would have like, happened? Charlie Charlie has to work. Like, are you, are you going to bring Raymond with you everywhere? Like Raymond is someone who needs pretty much around the clock care. Right. So I I think that scene did really hammer home the fact that what is best for Raymond in this situation is not necessarily what Charlie wants. And honestly, getting the like kind of hearing thing with all of the doctors, I think really 
I loved that scene. I know you mentioned that it was like the rough cut. I thought it was very well done. Now, before we get there, sorry to like interrupt. There was one scene. You could tell I was taking a breath (laughs) and about to speak. I could, but Charlie is given the opportunity to turn down a quarter of a million dollars to walk away. So like to his credit, he seems to not care about the money anymore. Yeah. I think that's where he explicitly says it. Yeah. So anyway, that scene that you were about to jump into, go. <laughs> With the two doctors, I do think here's where they start to show, because uh, Charlie's very insistent that they, like, they've like they made a connection, that he and Raymond mm-hmm. have a connection. And what's his name? The guy who was in charge of the institution Raymond was in. I never bothered to learn his name. <laughs> He's very insistent that like that's not possible. But I do think that this scene does a very clever way of showing us that like, it is not going to be best for Raymond long-term to stay with Charlie. It is best for him long-term to go back. However, there is a connection that has been made because when the stranger doctor, like the one who's basically doing the hearing and kind of going to make his recommendation, tries to address and talk to Raymond, which I was a little miffed with him because I was like, I feel like you should be better at this because like you're a medical professional, but okay. You are also specifically a psychologist but okay raymond doesn't respond well to that guy he responds when charlie talks to him where charlie will be like i need you to put the the tv down or you know raymond listen to the doctor you know he's responding more to charlie and so i i think that scene i don't know i feel like it it rides this like very thin line perfectly yeah. And honestly, the, the dialogue and the way that the stranger doctor goes through trying to figure out Raymond's wishes was written extremely well. Yeah. Where it's like, hey, do you want to stay here with your brother? Yeah. Do you want to stay in El- uh, Los Angeles? Yeah. Do you want to go back to Hol- uh, Holbrook? Walbrook. Yeah. Sorry. Walbrook. Yeah, like he's asking it various different ways, but places Raymond's always saying, yeah. And mm-hmm. then it becomes clear at one point that this is maybe starting to distress Raymond a little bit and the doctors go to confer. And I do love the moment where Charlie's just like, no more questions. Like, you don't want any more questions, do you? Like, that's fine. And then he even says, like, I think you're going to go back and that's okay. You're like, you're good. We're good. There is the super sweet, like, forehead touch. Mm-hmm. I I just, I love that moment. Yeah, it was sweet. Now, I'm going to just chuck that out the window and again, remind everybody that this scene happened because Charlie fucking kidnapped Raymond. (laughs) Which the doctor straight up says at one point, (laughs) I wrote this down, uh, because Charlie's trying to describe what happens. Also, Charlie initially is very defensive and I was like, dude, Mm -hmm. don't get defensive. It's, this is bad for you. But that doctor goes, so the beginning was like a kidnapping. It, it wasn't like, like a kidnapping. It, it was, was a, a kidnapping. <laughs> he was just being nice. Like, <laughs> Also, I was like, Charlie, you could visit or call. Like, this isn't that you can never see him again. My note is there is a middle ground here. Like, th- it doesn't have to be necessarily 100% one way or the other. There, There's a middle ground. 
I think Charlie's a no middle ground kind of guy. I think that's what we've seen, which hopefully this experience will make him a middle ground kind of guy, because I feel like part of what he's so mad about early on in the film is that he's having to accommodate another person for the first time in his life. And Susanna's probably like, fucking finally, I've been trying to get him to do this forever. And we're like, Susanna, you can do better. No. (laughs) But the final scene, I legitimately was thinking we were going to get a courtroom scene and I'm really glad we didn't because it was a foregone conclusion after that uh, hearing with the two psychologists. It was a really sweet goodbye. I think this is the scene where the writers strike impacted. Mm. And see, I actually really liked it, especially after Ray had gotten on the train and actually comes back to, to talk with, Charlie a little bit longer. There's a couple of things though that happened before that. One, they're at the Amtrak station, which Ray, I guess, is fine with versus a plane or highways, even though I was like well, I was like, there have been Amtrak accidents too. I guess he just hasn't read about those. He's wearing the suit mm-hmm. that Charlie got Kmart him in sucks. Vegas. Because <laughs> Kmart sucks. When the doctor's like, wouldn't you be more comfortable in your Kmart clothes? Kmart sucks. Love that. And then that's where uh Charlie is like, ah, oh, Raymond made a joke. And he's like, yeah. And then you have earlier where they're at the pancake place and Char- Charlie pulls out the maple syrup to show Raymond that it's already on the table. And Ray- Raymond goes, Charlie Babbitt made a joke. Yeah. So that the, there are these like sweet moments. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's just the general premise. <laughs> yeah. I'm also thinking like they're about to be on a seven day train ride in coach. Not to judge, but that is not an experience I would sign up for. <laughs> I'm Ian and I'm bougie. Ooh, coach. Blech. Okay, but you don't get to like that was you. sleep in a bed. Like <laughs> I'm you're just Ian there. and I can only sleep in the most luxurious of beds. <laughs> I'm glad exactly you recognize you this because it's finally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that is a total tangent. I, I could sleep in. <laughs> well, la di da. Aren't you special? <laughs> I am. Thank you. I'm glad you've noticed. Oh God. So that's uh, Rain Man again. Like, okay. So one thing about Tom Cruise's performance that infuriates me, and with the caveat that I have not seen him in too many things, but at least early Tom Cruise seems to be very one note and the same. I think his performance got better. Like, I think the second half of the film, he was much, much better. But like the early part of the film, I'm I'm with you. It was yeah. kind of one note. Well, and I mean more like he plays the same type of character. And it just, I'm just annoyed. Oh, I think he's heavily typecast. Because you have like Meryl Streep that we've seen in like Kramer versus Kramer out of Africa. <laughs> uh what was the Vietnam War one? Which one? Uh, Deer Hunter. Yes, Deer Hunter. So I'm just like, where's your versatility? Show it to me. Ian, he's been in one of the movies that has been on this podcast. Well, I've seen Top Gun. So those are my Love two Top points. <laughs> I mean, no, I think I think he he oftentimes plays kind of like a cocky alpha male type character. That's the 80s for you. Very fair. Are we ready to talk rankings? I think for me, Rain Man's definitely bottom half. It comes in for me at number 36. So that puts it after The Godfather and before Hamlet. So as much as I really didn't enjoy The Godfather and thought that it was 
needlessly indulgent or as a comment that I read recently said, it insists upon itself. Oh, perfect description. It's beautiful. Perfect. Uh, like there are certain redeeming qualities, especially in certain performances and in the visuals and places that I think top what Rain Man was able to provide. And especially when you throw in the flawed premise to start, at least from a narrative perspective, the bones of Godfather are there, even if the execution was questionable. And I think for me, the reason I put Hamlet lower is because I hated Hamlet more than I hated Charlie. So <laughs> that that's kind of where it is. I found them both to be insufferable characters, but for whatever reason, Hamlet's worse for me. And I just, maybe it's just the fact that Laurence Olivier cast himself in the lead role when he had no business being in that role. So when he was like 50 something. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, we, exactly. We, yeah. <laughs> uh, go listen to our episode on Hamlet. It is fun. I'm actually struggling if I put it before or after Hamlet. Oh, uh, help me make this decision. Okay. So it would either be number 44 or number 45, depending on if it's above or below Hamlet. And the thing that's getting you with Hamlet, I agree on everything you said about Lawrence Olivier <laughs> and the character of Hamlet. I hate that character, Hamlet. Uh, this is my unpopular Shakespeare opinion. Hamlet is my least favorite of the Shakespeare plays I've read um, or seen performed. You were entitled to that performed. opinion. Like, that's fine. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. What I'm struggling with is I, the visuals in Hamlet are so striking. And I do think that the non Lawrence Olivier characters are really good. Like I think it's Gene Simmons as uh, Ophelia who's really good. And then I think whoever it was who plays Laertes, I remember being really good. So that's what I'm struggling with. I'm going to tentatively put it above just because now I'm remembering how much I hate the character of Hamlet, but I also hate the character of Charlie. But I guess at least Charlie... Charlie gets a little bit better at the end and a little bit more palatable. Hamlet's the same. And he doesn't same. kill anybody. Oh, what? Hamlet. <laughs> Forgot about that part. <laughs> <laughs> and by anybody, I mean like everybody. Hamlet gets worse. I think they start at the same place, but Hamlet gets suckier. Um, so I'm going to put him above Hamlet. Uh, that would put it below Wings, though. I think Wings is just better. Although, again, because it's the only silent movie we've done, it is kind of hard to compare to the others it is but it was still really good and i just i felt more emotionally attached to a lot of those characters um and they even though they didn't say a word even though they didn't say a word i got real sad when the other one sh when one of them shot the other one out of the sky spoilers for wings i guess anybody could have seen that coming also go watch wings it's it is actually it is fun yeah i think i'm gonna put it in 44 I, it's not, I feel, it's not like a bad movie. I just, I think there's just some inherent ickiness to the basic premise and some of the casting. And I also just think it could have been so much more than it was. I'd agree. It's, it's an extremely tidy, well edited, well shot movie, but the, the premise just overshadows all that for me. It, there's not really any like wow to it. Yeah. And even like stuff like you said, like well shot, well edited, but like not enough. It's not good enough to outweigh the parts that weren't as good. Like I think like, uh, for example, The Last Emperor is much higher on my list because even though like the writing and structure of that movie was a mess, I was like, man, was it pretty. 
oh, exactly. Like it has that redeeming quality. And mine's in the same, I'm in the same boat where Last Emperor's actually top half for me. I mean, bottom of the top half, but. <laughs> cool. That's it for Rain Man. So next time. Next time I think is our last 80s one. It is. It's Driving Miss Daisy, which I'm actually looking forward to because I've been told multiple times that it is a delightful film that you need to watch. So I've heard mixed things. So I am. And it's Morgan Freeman. I'm excited. It is Morgan Freeman, who is always a freaking delight to watch. So until then, you can find us on social media. We are at Best Pictures Pod on Instagram and Twitter. If you have something more long form, you can email us in at bestpicturespodcast.com. What's our shit? <laughs> Best Pictures Podcast at gmail.com. Yep. Rate, subscribe, review, all of that good stuff. Um, and we'll see you next time. I'm going to go get some coffee <laughs> <laughs> so that my brain will work. Thanks for listening. And again, join us next time for Driving Miss Daisy.